What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to Wacky Wednesday on the Arrowhead Attic channel. As always, I'm Adam Best, joined by the golden voice of Sterling Holmes and producer Richard doing his things behind the scenes. Sorry for the delay, uh, some technical difficulties, but we are glad to be with you here in the, the dog days of summer. Right, Sterling, you got the tank top, tank top on, ready to go. Basketball game tonight, baby. Come uh, on now. Basketball game tonight. You got that like Luca color on. You got the Mavericks, yeah, baby. We got a, oh yeah, baby. We're we're getting after it today. We're getting after it. Nice. What else is going on? Um, golf. A lot of golf. A lot of golf. We're inching closer to training camp. We're what now? Twenty days away. July eighteenth is when quarterbacks and the rookies report to training camp. The Royals are two scoops of ass. So that's very unenjoyable to watch. Uh, basically, we're just inching closer to training camp. That's what we have going on. That's right. And during the summer, to kind of keep myself entertained, I'm a big fan of firing up the movie projector and watching movies outside. A lot of times, it's kind of uh, a nostalgia-fueled docket. Last night was Beetlejuice, which if you mm. haven't seen it, very, very weird movie. So Michael Keaton is like this ghost-slash-demon with sort of a cowboy accent, if that cowboy was like coked up and had bronchitis. Mm. And then there's like all this Harry Belafonte Calypso music. And then you throw in the weird Tim Burton aesthetic and that that kind of late 80s, early 90s feel. And it was, it was a head trip, man, a lot of fun. Yeah. Sounds like a real treat. And if you listening want a real treat, make sure you go to FanDuel Sportsbook and click the link in the uh, description below to sign up. If you click that link, you'll get a no sweat first bet up to a thousand bucks on any sport. You like money. I like money. So get that no sweat first bet up to a thousand bucks on any sport by clicking the link in the description below to sign up FanDuel Sportsbook. This offer is available for new customers of 21 plus and physically present in most legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Please check the description for full offers terms below. And if you already have FanDuel, you can head to arrowheadaddict.com slash bets to find more betting offers and ways to support the podcast. We got to get Clay Thompson to his, his game. So let's jump right into Hot Take Kingdom. You ready? Let's do it, baby. I'm always ready. Patrick Mahomes is the first quarterback in league history without a significant weakness. Welcome to the kingdom. So what got me thinking about this was Orlando Brown Jr.'s comments basically saying that it's going to be easier uh, to block for Joe Burrow than Patrick Mahomes. Did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. The 12 step drop versus seven step drop. It's not true. Part, part of me thinks some of this is a little taken out of context. This is a little projecting from Chiefs Kingdom uh, as we are a little upset about Orlando Brown Jr. leaving Kansas City and going to the arch rival Cincinnati Bengals. But again, Orlando Brown Jr. has been outspoken. He, he, he's right. going to hold true to what he believes. We know the money he wants. Part of me finds this entire thing fascinating because how often does a top 
don't know, eight to 12 left tackle in football get this much airtime on national media? Very, very funny. Uh, the answer is no. The answer is never. I don't think we've ever seen the a, a above average left tackle get this much airtime, this much uh, this talked about as often as Orlando Brown Jr., which makes it very funny. But here we are. Here we sit. It's kind of fun to maybe pre- pretend that he is stirring the pot a little bit here. Yeah, well, he's now the only marquee player who's been on both sides of the league's greatest rivalry, at least of the moment. So he's wrong, by the way. Mahomes' pressure to sack rate was 10.1% last year. Burroughs was double that at 22.9%. And this kind of led me going down a rabbit hole. I I looked at Orlando uh, versus Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher from a pressure standpoint. And both were considerably lower during their healthy years with Mahomes than Orlando was during his healthy years with Mahomes. So I I think he's just kind of making excuses. But this got me thinking about, he's sort of leaning into stereotypes, right? We have the old pocket passer, the prototypical pocket passer, the statue, your Tom Brady's, your, your Peyton Manning's versus the mobile quarterback stereotypes. And I think the train of thought historically has been you can either be a flat-footed Tom Brady and avoid sacks and turnover-worthy plays, or you can be hair-on-fire Josh Allen with the effective scrambling and big-time throws, but that comes with lots of mistakes. In my opinion, Mahomes takes a blowtorch to that trite way of labeling signal callers. Can you see that? Yeah, and I want to give some of my own statistics to back this up, okay? Because mm-hmm. I, I think it's true. I do think there's something to be said about Mahomes dropping back. I don't think Orlando Brown Jr. was wrong in that instance. There, there is something to that. I, you can't deny Mahomes typically takes longer dropbacks than Joe Burrow. We, we know about it. The offensive line has talked about it. Trey Smith has talked about how it's different. You used to have the egg timer in your head going block, 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 release, find the next guy. Not with Mahomes, it's block, 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 block. Try and finish strong, and he's probably still going to make a 50-yard bomb downfield because he's making dudes miss. Now, if you want some fun statistics here, would you agree that Jalen Hurts is a mobile quarterback who was behind one of the best offensive lines in football last year? Yeah, I think I know you're going with this. So Jalen Hurts had 460 attempts, and he was sacked 38 times. Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, 648 attempts, and he was sacked 26 times. Again, we're not talking Joe Burrow yet. We're talking one of the best lines in football and a mobile quarterback, right? Correct. I'm trying to put into perspective how freaking good Mahomes is at evading pressure, okay? Chiefs' interior offensive line was as good as the Eagles, but the tackles, they were not. There's no debating this. And Mahomes was still better at evading pressure on what was known as a historically great offensive line. Now, let me go a step further here. They have a stat on, uh, what is this, pro football reference. It's sack percentage. This is what the quarterback can do, okay? This is what the quarterback does to make dudes miss. Jalen Hurts is at 91. 100 is considered average, okay? Joe Burrow is at 101. Patrick Mahomes is all the way up at 118, His lowest in his career is 115. Burrow's best was last year at 101. 
The point is Mahomes is that much better at making the defender miss than anyone else that we're talking about right now, including mobile quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts. So for Atlanta Brown Jr. thinks this is going to be easy. While, yes, it will be a shorter drop for Joe Burrow, he is not going to evade pressure like the historically great Patrick Mahomes. He is he, Joe Burrow has a phenomenal pocket presence. What Patrick Mahomes does is sorcery. It, it shouldn't be possible. And I think Chiefs fans are kind of sick of hearing stuff like inferring that Mahomes makes it harder on his team with his improvisational style or that he gets hurt more or all this nonsense. He, he really doesn't. There is no place a quarterback, any quarterback in the National Football League is safer than Patrick Mahomes scrambling outside the pocket. This does not include bootlegs, but in those situations, scrambling outside the pocket, Mahomes was sacked 0.3% of the time. So the league average for quarterbacks there is 10%. That stat is from Steven Ruiz of The Ringer. I can't believe it, but it is true. He is basically impossible to sack once he gets out of the pocket. And we saw that with his line decimated in that Super Bowl loss versus the Bucks. I mean, they had a one Mississippi rush, and he was still almost impossible to bring down, right? we had the, the famous levitating Superman throw. I was watching that last night. I was actually watching it last night. I was, uh, but why? Why was I watching it last night? You masochist. It was on, it was on the, I was doing sports talk radio late at night and it was on the TVs. I'm like, I'm not watching the Royals. The Royals are, are again, as I mentioned, they're buns. So Ooh, I'm the Royals watch. are so bad. You would prefer to, that, to watch the Chiefs Super Bowl loss. I mean, that's Live Royals as, as they, blo- as they have a one Oh lead in the ninth and blow it and lose two one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Manuel Classe closing them out. So I go, well, I'm going to watch the, uh, Bucks Chiefs Super Bowl rerun again. And it is so unreal how much pressure Mahomes was under in that game, literally from the, every single snap. But it wasn't just the parallel to the ground throw he made. There were multiple plays where you're sitting here going, how did he make that defender miss? Three guys. He was single-handedly trying to drag his guys to a victory. And it wasn't just, uh, was it Williams that hit off the face mask in the end zone? Oh, yeah. And he also there, hit Tyreek's face mask. That's what it was. I think there was one a play before where Mahomes made three guys. There was one or two plays before made three or four guys miss. Found a guy in the end zone who was triple teamed, hit off the hands. Mm. And I'm sitting here going, this game would be talked about in a totally different light if those guys came down with those passes. Again, it's a team game. You have to win. I understand all this stuff. But Mahomes was not the issue in that game. It just goes to show, if you watch that game in particular, how good he is at evading pressure. Do you want a smart lock, a 2K cam, and doorbell all in one? Now you can with Eufy. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330. Easy to install. All you need is just a Phillips screwdriver. So easy that even I, yes, I, I figured out how to install it. It's a keyless entry, so no more fumbling for the keys, which, by the way, I didn't even have a key to my front door. Uh, Yeah, I had to go through the garage, so I would be S-O-L if something were to happen, but not anymore with Eufy. It's keyless. 
You have no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge monthly fees. Your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage, and the customer service is top-notch now. Let's be real. I didn't have to use it. I figured out how to use that Phillips screwdriver to install. Trust me, guys. I, I, I'm not lying to you. It is extremely easy. But if you have issues with your Eufy or installation, be rest assured Eufy's on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty. If you want to check it out, which I highly recommend you do, check out the Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co and I'm kind of going to do a choose your own adventure with my script here because I was going to talk about this later. But basically, the two marquee games that he has kind of been mortal in. Well, the first one, his line was decimated. His teammates really let him down. I think the tragedy with Andy Reid's son was kind of a dark cloud over the roster. And hey, that is more important than football. Certainly, that needs to be clarified. But it certainly affected the team. And then the next time, the only other playoff loss that wasn't basically the, uh, the Patriots got the coin flip, and that's why they won, was the Bengals AFC Championship in 2021. And what happened in that game? He was perfect, absolutely perfect for, for a half. And then instead of taking a field goal, I am usually a, a take seven guy, but when you have that kind of lead and you only have enough time for one play, you take the field goal. And you go in with momentum and you put the game out of reach. They throw to Tyreek. Eli Apple stops him. Something happened in that locker room because a different team came out after, after the, uh, the break, right? It was the first time that I think we saw Mahomes actual actually play bad football. I mean, there's no sugarcoating. He choked in that game. The second half, he choked. He spiked balls. He missed dudes. He, 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 was, he was brutal. But one half in an entire career so far, one half. How many times have you seen Peyton Manning have a bad game? Tom Brady have a bad game. We've seen that a lot. They get rattled. They start getting hit. The pressure comes up the middle. They don't have time. They can't scramble. They're screwed, right? We have literally seen one half, one half, 
And, and that's what I find so incredible is we all know how bad he was in that half. There's no, again, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. He, he choked one half of his entire career. Do we point to what other game do you point to and say he played bad? Other teams who didn't really watch the Super Bowl against the Bucs will say that game. He wasn't bad in that game. He had no help. The Bengals was, was on him. But how many games have we looked at where Tom Brady struggled? How many games have, has, has Peyton Manning or Brett Favre or, or, or Joe Montana or Steve Young struggled? You, you can list them off. How many times one has Rodgers lost to the Packers? I mean, the, the Niners in the playoffs, just that one team. <laughs> but even the Bucs players, there's that famous clip of Godwin calling him a magician and Mike Evans saying he's unbelievable. Uh, if you think back to that Bengals game, he absolutely did choke, but I would say his choke job coincided with Andy Reid choking, Eric Bieniemy choking, Travis Kelsey and, and Pat and uh, Tyree kill had costly drops. They let him down for some reason. They wouldn't run the ball. I'm usually not a big run the ball guy, but if they're dropping eight back, you, you freaking have to. You have to do that. Uh, and, and then all the tertiary uh, options, nobody else could get open. I, mean, I think that's why the Chiefs diversified their wide receiving core and said, we just can't have Tyree Killer bust. So basically, we've seen one half of him being mortal. And I would also say Lou Anarumo came out with one of the best halftime adjustments I've oh, seen no. in in a lifetime of watching football, half a lifetime of watching football. So where were we? We were talking about Brady having clear weaknesses, right? Now he may be the best processor and the best leader we have ever seen. He may have an encyclopedic knowledge of football. Like Quentin Tarantino does a film. Everything is in his head. Peyton Manning is the same way. But if you bring pressure in the, up the middle or a play gets broken, they cannot scramble. So they do have a signature weak weakness, I think, that they share. Joe Burrow doesn't have that quite as much, but he still has it to a degree. I, I want to point this out because Joe Burrow has actually had a couple of really good scrambles in big-time moments against Kansas City. But I want to point this out. When Joe Burrow picked up those first downs with his legs, our initial reaction is, how did you let him beat? How did you let that guy with his legs beat you? It, it was utter confusion. It was it was almost not a he got the better of us. It was a how did you let that happen? If a Jalen Hurts, a Josh Allen, if that happens to the Chiefs, what do you say? Well, that's part of his game. You got to stop. That's part of his game. This is not a knock against Joe Burrow. He's just not the most athletic quarterback. No. He's just not. I always compare him to Drew Brees. I, I know some people get probably tired of me comparing him to Drew Brees. This is, should not be a knock against either one of those guys. Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He was incredible. But what did Joe, What did Drew Brees do best? He was extremely accurate. He was very smart. He took care of the football. He got the ball uh, in perfect placement for his receivers to make plays after the, after the fact. Um, got it out quick. Got it out quick. All, all these great things. But he wasn't great when he had to scramble or extending plays to, to the extent of, a, of an Aaron Rodgers, uh, of a Mahomes, of a Josh Allen, of a Justin Herbert. Joe Burrow's a little bit the same way. Extremely accurate. Gets the ball out quick. An amazing quarterback. But scrambling just isn't part of his game. We might be a little biased because a couple of times he has done it against Kansas City. But look at the bigger picture here. That's not what he typically does. 
Well, yeah, he's a tactical scrambler who can do it in a pinch, but he's not. I mean, one of the reasons Mahomes and Allen uh, have their teams converting third downs at a higher rate than any other offenses is because they are one and two in the EPA generated from scrambles. So that is the huge difference between Mahomes and Burrow. They're the only two players who are in the top five in big-time throw rate and then in the bottom five in turnover-worthy play rate. But then you add in Burrow taking sacks. Mahomes doesn't take them. And also you add in that other than Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes is the most efficient scrambler in the NFL. And Josh Allen, phenomenal player. Sometimes he is just demoralizing. You sit there and say, how can you stop this freight train of a human? Yeah. But at other times, he implodes. He implodes. He, he, he has plays that make you say, what was he thinking? Patrick, other than that one half against the Bengals, he never really does that. You, you always kind of have a feel uh, that he knows what he's doing, that he's in control. Right? No, I mean, I have, you have seen Mahomes flustered one half his entire career. When he's been healthy, at least. He had the, the game in the regular season against the Colts, I want to say. Um, and the, a little bit against the Titans where he was he struggled a little bit. That was post uh, coming back from an injury. He doesn't have a bad game. He doesn't. And that's what makes it so incredible is we're not talking about a guy. Uh, let's just say like Justin Herbert, for example, where the upside and the the incredible games, they just blow you out of the, out of the water and say, oh, my goodness, this is just phenomenal. The upside, the talent, the, the, the top games are there, but the bottom games are here. Mahomes doesn't have those bottom games. That's what makes him so special is the consistency. You don't see consistent greatness like this. No, and the issue with Justin Herbert is that he's too safe. He doesn't have he could he, he has the cannon to make the big time throws. He just doesn't do it. He is the safest quarterback in the NFL. He has the lowest turnover play rate, but he doesn't like to scramble. He doesn't like to take chances. Now, some of that might be what the Chargers are calling or their their system, their offensive coordinator. We'll see if that changes now that they've moved from Joe Lombardi to Kellen Moore. But Mahomes, that's what makes him so special. He is taking I would say his degree of difficulty is either the highest in the NFL or the second highest beyond, beyond Josh Allen. And the fact that he really is the safest quarterback when you add up say, uh, um, sacks and turnovers, it's just a miracle. Even Aaron Rodgers wasn't like this because I don't think Aaron Rodgers, even though he was a good scrambler and he could make some out-of-structure ma magic, I don't think he was going to that as much as Mahomes goes to that well. No, I agree. You're supposed to give me some pushback here, man. I'm sorry, man. I'm trying to figure out the comment situation going on here, but I agree with you. There's not much yeah, pushback. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going through everything. He's a master manipulator with his eyes. He sells play action as well as anybody. I think most teams are getting rid of their third and fourth reads. A lot of times, you know, a lot of these great teams like the Bengals, like the Eagles, like the Dolphins. They have two guys that are getting all their passes. Their offense has been simplified to a few options. Mahomes, he doesn't care if he has to throw to Blake, uh, Blake Bell, Michael Burton, anybody on the roster. He, you know, I just think he makes reads so well for the kind of player he is. The only kind of weak spot I'm seeing is maybe designed runs. But in my, in my opinion, I think he can do them. 
I think he can do them. Think about two of the times he's gotten hurt. One, he dislocated his knee on a quarterback sneak. And the other time was he was running a quarterback option in the playoffs against the Browns and he got concussed. At some point, Andy Reid and the rest of the brain trust just said, he's too good in the pocket. He's too good scrambling. We don't need to, to trot Patrick Mahomes out there on design runs. Like, the Ravens need to with Lamar Jackson or the Eagles need to with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I, I will, I guess, acquiesce. He, he is not the best design runner in the NFL, but okay, here you go. The biggest weakness against, against Mahomes is they don't let him do QB sneaks. There we go. That's, that's his kryptonite. That's that is, the only thing. That that, is that's a, the only thing. And it's because they won't let him. That is a very, very sad kryptonite. I mean, oof. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. And I, I think the other thing we saw was when he hurt his ankle in the postseason, a lot of us have wondered, will Mahomes' game age well as Aaron Rodgers' game has aged well once he's kind of more stuck in the pocket? Well, throughout the playoffs, except when he had to pick and choose his spots on that ankle, he was a pocket passer more statuesque than we've ever seen him and you know he sliced and diced he was fine he looked as good as as he as he ever has so i'll respect you to all the other greats that have come before him but from where i'm sitting and i, I know we are biased but i legitimately think he had he's the least flawed quarterback we've ever seen in league history what's wild is if you want to look at his stats from oh my gosh uh, we'll just say every year he's been a starter. Um, 100 is average in all of these indexes. Again, I'm on pro football reference. Yards per attempt. Uh, he's been anywhere. He's been basically around the 120s uh, every single season. Net yards per attempt, 120s to 130s. Uh, adjusted yards per attempt, 120s to 130s. Um, completion percentage. Last year was 112. His lowest in his career was 105. Touchdown percentage. Last year was 124. Lowest in his career was 107. Interception percentage, 110 last year. Sack percentage, 118. Uh, passer rating index, 124. Everything he does is not just above average. It's well above average. That's what makes him so impressive. You want to go, he's not checking down. He's taking bombs. He's completing everything. Uh, his touchdown percentage is unreal. He doesn't put the ball in harm's way. He avoids sacks. It, it's incredible. Yeah, and what's so impressive about him is that they had a vertical offense, and the league went to that Vic Fangio style to stop him, to force him to evolve. And he he did. He did evolve. They, they had more of a yak attack this year. I think they had the most – Yards after the catch in 15 years, their offense did this year. So if you throw something at him, he's able to reinvent himself like David Bowie. If, if you force him to again this year, I'm sure we will see a new and improved Mahomes that catches everyone off, off guard. Man, this has been probably the most agreeable hot take kingdom we've done. The kids will probably say we're glazing. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, we're not going to get into that. That they they like to say that anytime. How is Adam Best, the older guy on the show, teaching me the younger guy? Because you you know how like how like uh, Verderam is a 
60 year old than a 30 year old body. Well, I, I am a like a twenty year old in a forties in a forties body. That's just I don't know. I'm I'm young at heart, man. But you don't want to get into it. They're irony poisoned, and anything that's too effusive in terms of praise, they just get disgusted by it. And I'm like, it's okay to be optimistic. You don't have to go through life cynical. Yeah. No, you're, you're coming in. You're coming yeah, in. Yeah, lower the gates, man. This, this is the, the, maybe the first time ever where it's been this obvious. It's been, again, unless you're going to say QB sneaks. If you're going to go QB sneaks, then we, we have a real conversation that's so inconsequential, I think, as far as an actual weakness. And it's not because he can't do it, because the Chiefs won't let him do it. Lower the lower the gates. I'm coming in, baby. You got let's the beer. Put, you got the barbecue. That's right. I'm going to party with you best. Let's put a quick bow on the Orlando Brown situation. I, I just think, I don't know what he's getting at here. Uh, I would have liked to see more context. But if you look at Mahomes' time to throw on sacks this year, it was 3.17. That's the lowest uh, of his career by like half a second. And I just anecdotally thinking back, that was because Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown Jr. got got beaten quickly. You could argue that the Chiefs lost the Colts game and the Bengals game in the regular season because Orlando Brown Jr. got beat during pivotal moments, and he got beat fast. Mm -hmm. One of the, the things you need to do as an offensive lineman is die a slow death. So I know he knows where Joe Burrow is going to be, and Joe Burrow gets the ball away quickly, but Joe Burrow also has this attitude that it's third down and he's either going to make something happen or take a sack. Yeah. That's not going to be a good, a, a good mindset for Orlando Brown jr. I don't think. Is, is Jerick McKinnon also somehow going over to Cincinnati too? Right. <laughs> I will say in all seriousness, McKinnon being gone and also Samaj P Ryan, Samaj P Ryan was a very good third down back, a very good pass protector as well. That will be a, a little bit of a loss for the Bengals, maybe larger than people realize. I will say this, my final thoughts on Orlando Brown Jr. It's fun to rip on him. End of the day, I actually do think this might be a better situation for him. He, he understands his limitations, which is funny. The awareness of his limitations basically saying, hey, I'm not as good in the Chiefs offense because of the drops. I'm not good against speed rushers. He understands that. What I find hard to believe is he understands that, but still wants to be the highest paid left tackle in football. It's like 50% there, and the other 50 is like, well, who cares? It's like cognitive dissonance, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, okay, I want to be the highest paid podcaster too, but I, I, I know I'm not. That, that ain't me. So I just find it interesting that he understands his limitations. I do think he put himself in a better spot to succeed just based on how that offense is run. I think it's an upgrade for the Bengals, but I don't think the Bengals are getting what – what the Bengals fans feel like they're getting Trent Williams. Chiefs fans are acting like they are getting – Jonah Williams. Jonah Williams. In reality, they're getting someone in between. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he is technically sound – Long, strong, he can get in front of you, but he, he, speaking of kryptonite, his kryptonite is speed rushers. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's move on to a recurring segment from last week. We did the Chiefs versus the NFL. Trying to value the Chiefs roster versus the rest of the league. We did the offense. Now we're going to do the defense. So let's start with George Karloftis. I have him just as a starting point as a top 50 edge going into this year. PFF gave him the 86th best pass rush grade. I think he kind of came on at the end of last season. But I also think uh, a lot of his, his big plays, his sacks, were sort of motor sacks. Uh, but he did play a lot of snaps, and he was a rookie. So is this a fair kind of projection for Furious George? Yeah, I think top 50 is about exactly where I'd put him. Uh, I think he's the best edge rusher on Kansas City. Um, I, I would put it – I would take him over a minute. I would. Sorry, pal. I would do it. I know I know you and I – you were the highest guy on Charles of anyone I know. I like Charles O a good amount, but you love that dude. Um I, I, I'm higher on Karloftis. I, I, I've, I've said it again. If it were me, if I'm in, in Vegas and I'm setting the over-under, I'm setting the over-under of sacks for Karloftis at nine and a half. Um, I think anywhere from nine, 10 to 11 is about where I see him this year. Karloftis, I think, is going to really have a good good season. And he's good against the run. He's so big and physical. The motor, as you mentioned, doesn't quit. This is a guy who was in Greece playing water polo. This is a guy who is still – to an extent, learning football. I had a chance to talk to him for a while because he was so nervous about playing softball. He wouldn't leave our interview table. It was hilarious. He's like, no, man, I'm staying here. I'm talking to you more. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to tell you no. You're going to kick my ass. Um, ended up having a great chat with him, but this is a he's guy. Too who, ni- he's too nice. He's not so the, nice, uh, dude. He's not the Justin Houston, Terrell Suggs, make you no. shit yourself type. He he was such a joy to talk to, a joy to be around. Honestly, a really good dude as well, but he just brought up good points. He, he just, he's still to an extent learning. He, he's, he's getting more comfortable. Um, I, I'm really excited for Carl. So top 50, I'm all in on. So now let's move to Charles Amenehu. And I have him as a top 10 edge tackle combo, because I just don't think there are that many guys. Like we classified Jerick McKinnon as a, as a satellite back, as that kind of specialist. I think Amenehu is a specialist he does the the dual role that very few guys can do because he was he was top I think he was 27th graded as an edge rusher but if you move him inside he was third in pass rush win rate from the defensive tackle spot he is unblockable on the interior and I I think we have to realize that he's a different kind of player than most of the edges in the league. So I'm not saying he's the 10th best edge in the league or a top 10 edge. I'm saying in terms of guys that can play inside and out, which I think eliminates about 80% of, of, of defense, defensive tackles and edges, right? Most guys are either too small or too slow to do both. Mm. He can do both. I, I'm not going to go top 10. There's too many guys that I would say, uh, obviously Chris Jones is the first one that comes to mind. Aaron Donald comes to mind. Um, 
I wonder if Hargrave for the Eagles. The Eagles probably have a couple of guys you can throw in there. Um, I'm not going top 10, man. I get what you're saying because you're trying to, to break this down into a very um, small grouping. but Niche, I'm, yeah. Very niche. But I, does Quinn Williams go in? I, I would have to look a little bit more about some of these interior guys that Dexter Lawrence, does he ever kick outside as well? Um, I, I'm not going to go top 10, though. I I, I feel like it's a little, little too high. I, I Again, you're the highest guy I've ever seen on Charles O. It's, it, I am, I'm rooting I mean, for you, but I can't get there. You see why I'm going there, though, that, that pass rush win rate. And it, it's pretty phenomenal out on the outside, too. But when you kick him inside, he's unstoppable. Okay, let's move on to FAU. Felix and UDK, Uzoma. I have him as top 75 for now. We just need top 75, 80. We just need to see more for him, for him before we, we take more of a leap. Yeah, I I don't even want to say top 75. It's almost just an ungradable. It's a generous, right? I think it's very generous because I don't think he's going to play a ton this year. Um, again, I've already said, and I'll say it again, I think the over-under, if I were setting it, would be four and a half sacks for FAU. He's not going to get the playing time that Karloftis did last year, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. The Chiefs are way deeper. There's way more talent um, on the defensive line this year than there was last year. Um I don't think we're going to see a ton of FAU, especially if a veteran guy, whether it's a uh, Melvin Ingram, Carlos Dunlap, they come back to Kansas City. I think then you'll see him play even less. Again, I'm not saying I don't like FAU. I'm not saying I don't think he's going to have an impact in this Chiefs career. I just don't see a major impact this season coming from him. Yeah, this is right now. Not if we were projecting five years from now, and maybe we'd have FAU as a top 30 edge uh, in, in terms of ceiling. But that's not what we're doing. Uh, interesting ceiling candidate here, Mike Dana. He's top 60, and he I do not think he can get any higher than that, but that's what he's going to give you. He's just as dependable and, and and as sturdy as they come. I'm out on top 60, man. You're, you're a little too aggressive here. I like Mike Dana a lot. I wrote a whole article and a whole segment last year about how underrated Mike Dana was. Top 60 means he is better uh, than every single DN three and better than four defensive end twos. He was better he than was, Frank, he was better than Frank Clark from a pass rush win rate and Frank pass grade rate last year. Boy, if you hear me talk about Frank Clark being top six, you better stop me. <laughs> I think you know his grade. His grade was something like fifty five. Hey so, man, I'm I, with you, but it, it, I like Mike Dan a lot, man. I like him a lot. Top sixty means he would be a starter on this team. There's a reason why he, the only chance he has of starting really is if Charles O is out to start the season because of suspension and they don't trust FAU uh, early on, then that's fine. I think Mike Dana as a spot starter is a, is a really useful player. I love his versatility going inside on the NASCAR package, but I ain't going top 60, man. I can't get there. No. And and I think the argument against that is when he's in the game, maybe he performs like that. But when you're George Karloftis, and you're playing a shitload of snaps as a rookie or you're Frank Clark and you're out there a lot more, the game becomes tougher than, than you being a relief pitcher or a pinch hitter, right? That's what Mike Dana is. So let's, let's bump him down. Top 80, sure. top 90. 
I will also say this, a uh, question from Kyle, or I guess a statement. Kyle Carnegie on the chat says, I think FAU will be, on, uh, will be in on every third down. Third option on the depth chart at edge. He will leapfrog Dana like Karloftis did last season. Spags likes his rookies more than Reed. I don't know if Spags likes his rookies more than Reed. After his comment last year of basically saying, I don't mind having rookies, just weren't they all they weren't here all at the same time, but he will play rookies more than Andy Reid will. That I will give you, Kyle. So that's a very high possibility. I will also point out, I think Chris Jones will kick outside a lot on obvious passing down situations. We'll probably see Charles Minahu kick on the inside on obvious passing down situations. There's a chance you actually see four guys uh when, when it's obvious, you'll see Chris Jones on the outside, Karloftis on the inside or outside. You'll see Aminahu on the inside, and you'll probably see Mike Dan on the inside. Now, that seems like a very fun time for Steve Spagnuolo. It does, and I think that's a great point about Felix because I, I believe he has the most speed, the most juice from all of our pass rushers. Chris Jones, top two defensive tackle, and he was the best last year, but that's just out of respect for Aaron Donald, who had a tiny bit of a down year but has been arguably a, I'd call him a top three or four defensive player in league history up there with the Lawrence Taylors and, and guys like Deion Sanders. Uh, I will say he's top two and he ain't two. All the respect for Aaron Donald, but I think last year was the passing of the torch. I think it's them two or the clear top two. Then I think you got Quinn Williams, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, uh, DeForest Buckner, uh, maybe Javon Hargrave, uh, Dexter Lawrence. I mean, there, there's another good tier that up and coming interior defense alignment. But I do think after last year, what he did that showed me Chris Jones is still on the up and up. Well, I think Aaron Donald maybe um, he's getting older, man. I mean, he is. It's, it's nothing against Aaron Donald. You mentioned I would agree he's he's top five all time on the defensive line. Like it's unreal his career, unreal. But I think right now, if I said for one season, who would I rather have, Chris Jones or Aaron Donald? Maybe I'm being a little biased, but I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm trying to put that to the side. I think I, for one year, I would take Chris Jones this year over Aaron Donald. Yeah, Aaron Donald is first ballot Hall of Famer with a bullet. But Chris Jones was the most doubled player in the NFL last year. And his pressures, he was right up there with Nick Bosa and Micah Parsons, despite being doubled twice as much as those guys. Unreal season. Let's move on to Nick Bolton. I have him as a top six middle linebacker. Uh, one of the best run stoppers in the entire league. Great leader. Very intelligent player. He He's a little weaker in coverage than you'd like. And that's why I think maybe this is, this is where he sticks. I think top six is good. I think six is about where I would have him because you're going to have Bobby Wagner, Fred Warner. Um, I would have Bobby Dem might be a little washed, but Fred De Warner definitely. Demario Davis for the Saints. I don't care how old he is. Demario Davis had a great year. And actually, Bobby Wagner was one of the highest ranked, if not the highest ranked, interior or uh, uh, yeah, middle linebackers in football last year. Um, uh, what's his name for the Buccaneers? Um, Levante. Levante David. Um, we don't Matt, have to go through Matt, Matt, Matt Milano is probably right. there. And then right. I, I bet, I, Bolton's right at price six-ish. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Nick Bolton was really good last year. I, I, PFF backed it up. The eye test backed it up. The counting stats backed it up. Nick Bolton's right there. I'd probably say six. Yeah, I, I would I would have to agree. And he has a penchant for big plays, 
whether it was that Denver game a couple of years ago during the regular season where he bailed us out or the Super Bowl where he was this close to having two touchdowns. Willie Gay, super hard player to rank, rank because if we're talking about sheer athleticism, he's up there with, with Devin White, who I think is a very overrated player. Uh, I have him as a top 20 outside backer. By the way, I'm going to have to uh, take it back really quickly. Tremont, uh, Tremont Edmonds and Roquan Smith. So let's say top eight for Nick Bolton. I'm going to go top eight. Um, Those contracts, I love Nick Bolton, but I want no part of a contract like that. No, I agree. They, we're I we're agree, giving but... way too much money to middle linebackers. I mean, <laughs> hey, this, hey, this isn't 20 years ago, guys. We're not talking contract. We're talking the play, and I'm going top eight for Nick we Bolton. Are, we are not talking contracts, to clarify. Um, oh, top 20. I think I'm out on top 20 because most teams have two outside linebackers, probably the majority, if not every team will have two outside linebackers. Uh, that would say Willie Gay Jr. is the best or top 20 out of 64. He was ranked the 13th best coverage linebacker by PFF last year in football, which is very, very impressive. But I still think there's limitations to his game. We need to see more from Willie Gay Jr. I wonder if the signing of Drew Tranquil is the uh, kick in the ass. The, hey, you won that second contract here. Drew's here. You got to outplay him now. If you outplay him, that second contract might be coming your way. You don't. Might be moving on for you. Um, I'm excited to see how Willie Gay Jr. responds here. So let's say top 32 and that's a natural transition to drew tranquil who i he's a very specific kind of player to me he is a coverage backer i would say almost exclusively i expect that is how the chiefs are going to use him almost I mean, he played safety in college almost like a bigger daniel Sorensen, so to speak so i have him as a top eight coverage backer and if you look at those those pff coverage stats you you cited he that's right about where he is yeah. Oh, I'm I'm ripping this. Yes. Yes. Drew Tranquil is, is top eight coverage linebacker because he's also so versatile. Not only that, he had five and a half sacks last year for the Chargers. He was a green dot. Um, if Spags is going to be so, so thrilled to have a guy with this versatility, because if he's on the on the field, yeah, he's, he's great in coverage. But you can also send him on a blitz and he will get that quarterback. That's fun. Again, I, I am so excited about this defense as a whole. I, I think they're greater than the sum of their parts. You listen to some of the names, and while outside of obviously Chris Jones, Legereus Sneed, there's not like these big names on this team, right? It, you, you don't have the the duo of, of Khalil Mack and Bosa. You don't you don't have um, you know Derwin T, James, Derwin James, T.J. Watt. Like, you, you don't have that. You you have Chris Jones, and then the tear down probably Legereus Sneed, but you have guys that all work well together. And their versatility jumps out at you. Drew Tranquil is going to have a great season. I can't wait. Did you hear about what he did last weekend? He so, won a, a chess tournament or something like that, which congratulations, Tra uh, Ronald said Tranquil is a great chess piece for Spags. Yeah, pun intended. So he beat Chidobe Awuzie from the Bengals. The Bengals cannot stop taking L's to the Chiefs. <laughs> uh, but it just shows that he is a thinking man's player. Speaking of chess pieces, Legereus Sneed, the biggest chess piece that Spags can move all over the board. I, I'm calling him slot corner. I think that's the most generous way to classify him. I have him as a top three 
slot corner, along with the guy in uh, in Buffalo. Gosh, I'm blanking on his name. And there are a few other guys in consideration, but I think top three is is very fair because I think there's an argument for Snead being the top slot corner in the league. How many of them are are pluses against the run? He's probably the best blitzer along with Derwin James in in, in any secondary in the NFL. Uh, he can travel with DK Metcalf. Most slot corners cannot do that, right? So I think his versatility is is what sells me. Yeah, I would say top three as well. The size, the speed. He ran a four three something in college. Uh, the fact that he can also blitz and get up to the quarterback. His tackling is incredible for a corner. Uh, Legereus Snead is a top three uh, slot corner. I, I would say that without a doubt. And by the way, that should help Kansas City when it comes to negotiations. The fact that he does play the uh, slot majority of the time, as long as he's not lining up against the and traveling with the wide receiver one like he did at times last year. The more he plays in the slot, the lower his um, open market's going to be. That's just how the open market is. That's the reason why tight ends don't get paid as much as, as wide receivers. That market is just not there. He wouldn't get as much as Javarius Ward if he's going to be playing the slot. So that action might behoove Kansas City if he stays there. It will be interesting to see if Trent McDuffie plays more in the slot because he has a natural feel for that role as well. I have him as a top 15, top 20 corner. If we're talking about PFF grade, they had him as the 13th best coverage grade in the regular season. Again, just one metric, but cornerback is a very difficult position to, to grade and judge. Uh, this is kind of speculative, but I, I think he can be a top 15 corner in this league going forward. I think he can be, and I don't want to go through the list of all the cornerbacks right now because there's obviously some that jump out at you. Um there's just so many corners, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Darius Slay, uh, Sauce Gardner, uh, Tariq Woolen uh, for Seattle last year. I, I don't want to go through all those And they're up and down because A.J. Terrell uh, for Atlanta looked like the next superstar. And he yeah. had a rough year last year. So yeah. there's a lot of variance. And just but, because- but again, do, do you have those guys bouncing back? Because if you're projecting Trip McDuffie, then you also almost have to project A.J. Terrell bouncing back. Do you project uh, Tredavious White uh, to bounce back for Buffalo? Um, it's a very hard situation because Byron Jones at one point was one of the five best corners in the NFL. He's out of the NFL now. Some of that was due to injury, of course. But he signed with Miami and it, he just kind of fell off. I can't go top. You said top 15 or top 20? I said top 15, top 20, that range. That range. I would go top 30, 32. I'd go top 32. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I could see a sophomore slump, like a a mini sophomore slump. Mm -hmm. I could also see him, if you told me at this time next year that he was a top eight corner, I would believe it. So we'll just have to wait and see with him. What's so we impressive? Feel, we feel what, good about him. Though. Yeah, what's so impressive with him is he he plays like a veteran at such a young age with with such an experience in the NFL. I always point out he is so good uh, manipulating his body and wide receivers' bodies when the ball is in the air. He uses the sideline as, a, as as his friend, which I know it's you should, but it doesn't always happen. He is no. so good at that. Um, I, I, I'm very very high on Trip McDuffie, even if he is a little bit on the smaller side. Let's take Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams as a tandem. I kind of have them in the 60 to 80 range. Is that, is that too generous? Is that too harsh? Or is that just about right? 
That's probably just about right. You're talking about CB2s slash threes on the majority of teams. I think that's about fair. Um, I'm intrigued to see which one really takes that next step forward this year because you're probably predicting who's taking the step forward, who's either plateauing or who's taking that sophomore slump. The odds of them both all of a sudden taking massive steps forward, I hope it happens, but is probably a little bit more unrealistic, especially for being a seventh rounder and a fourth rounder. But I like the differences between those two guys. They both bring something different to the table. They're both good tacklers. Um, you know, I'm pretty high on Joshua Williams. He was drafted just based on the the size and the fact that it seems like the Chiefs have played up and grown all these cornerbacks. So if you get the size, they can get these guys to play up. But I think your ranking right there is pretty fair. You basically have traits versus intangibles, right? Yeah. Watson is the the heady technically sound player and Joshua Williams just has all the athletic ability in the world length for days, but doesn't have as natural of a feel for the position as Watson does. I think that might make him a little bit more subject to variance. I could see him having a, just a monster year followed by a, a horrible year. That's the kind of player he might be. He might be a bit of a roller coaster. Justin Reed. Let's finish off with the safeties. I'm thinking Justin Reed, top 15. I, I, I can't, the way he started last year, I just can't put him any higher than that. But I am feeling optimistic with the way he finished the year. Yeah, uh, I would say top 15. Uh, there are some really good safeties in the NFL right now. But what I'll also point out is I've always said this, and you can – you can disagree with me if you want. I don't think safety is as important as corner. It's very rare when you see a safety transition to corner. It's more likely you see a corner transition to safety. Um, there's a reason for that. Okay, There's a reason for that. Um, but Justin Reed, I would say, is top 15. He's a great tackler. Uh, he's very, very physical. I like some of his trash talking. Even if Andy Reid doesn't like it, I like a little bit of that edge in my safety. You want a little bit of that crazy, a little bit of, I'm going to put my nose in there. That was the issue a lot of Chiefs fans had with Tyron Matthews' final year here, the, the business decisions. You want a hard-hitting safety. How fun was it seeing Eric Berry light someone up? You like seeing it. I like seeing that in, uh, in Justin Reed. Um, I'm probably not going higher than, than top 15, but I think he's right in there around that 12 to 15 range. Yeah, we want our honey badgers uh, to not care, right? to go back to that old meme and that wasn't who Tyron was his last year. But if you think back to the Super Bowl, Justin Reed really was one of the players that came out, established the kind of the, the, the tone, the feel of that game. I mean, he almost, he almost sent uh Devante Smith to another dimension. I mean, that yeah. was, he laid the wood and let the Eagles know that this was going to be a fight. And I appreciate that because I think one of the issues with the chiefs in the past is maybe they've been a little too finesse at times. And that's not going to happen on his watch. So I'll agree. Top 15 with upside. Brian Cook, I like what I saw last year. I think the draft capital is there. Uh, hard for me to go just on speculation more than top 40 or top 50. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm at too. But I'm high on Brian Cook. Uh, I am excited about Brian cook. We're cooking up something good in the secondary again, versatility, versatility, versatility. That has been the MO the past two years on this defense. We are there. This secondary is 
really underrated. They're going to turn some heads around the NFL. Again, as I mentioned, not a ton of big name players on this in, in the secondary, but a lot of guys that will make an impact. And Brian Cook is going to be one of those guys. He's another hitter, another very physical player. The the finesse chiefs of the pass again. They are no longer here. Let's finish up with Mike Edwards. And I classified him as a dime safety, a guy that comes in situationally and can do a little bit of everything, very versatile. Not, I don't think he's going to be an every down player. So in that role, I have him as a top 12 dime safety. That's probably about right. In obvious passing down situations, he is going to be fun because he is a ball hawk. Right. If you have Justin Reed and Brian Cook as your hitters, then you have Mike Edwards as your ball hawk. Again, I, I keep going back and I'm sure everyone's frustrated saying Sterling, don't say the V word again. Versatility, baby. It's so fun having a defense that can do a little bit of everything. Again, this is the best defense, in my opinion, in the Patrick Mahomes era. I think this is the perfect defense for Steve Spagnolo, a guy who likes to disguise, who, who likes to mix and match. I am just thrilled at what this defense in the upside can be. They're young. A lot of them are controllable. Damn. Is it Thursday yet? I will kind of conclude the safety section of these rankings by saying, I agree with you. Corner is far and away more important positionally than corner. But in the Spagnolo system, I think there is a reason why they spin up on Justin Reed and Tyron Matthew and they keep drafting corners because he likes to play press. He likes to play quarters. His safeties have to be center fielders who cover a lot of field, who do a lot of different things. Uh, sometimes they even play in the slot. We've seen that with the honey badger. So I think this is a, I'm not going to say the V word again. Uh, uh, <laughs> do it all rangy. Give me an adjective here. Uh, a comment section, but uh, that's all we've got for you guys today. Quick and easy. I will be here again tomorrow with Patrick Allen on the Thursday slot, my old buddy. And that's all we've got from you, uh, for you, not from you. So for Sterling, for Richard, behind the scenes, I'm Adam. Go Chiefs. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.